Welcome to Live Greater, a health and wellness podcast brought to you by the University of Maryland Medical System. We put knowledge and care within reach, so you have everything you need to live your life to the fullest. This podcast is sponsored by the UM Capital Region Health. Today's topic, what is a hysterectomy and do I need one? We're joined by two experts in this episode, Dr. Brianna Walton, urogynecologist, and minimally invasive GYN surgeon, Dr. O. Lawrence Stitt III with UM Capital Region Health. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you, Maggie. Thank you so much. Dr. Walton, what is a hysterectomy and why do women undergo this type of procedure? Sure. Quite simply, any, and I think it's important for us to always have our patients in mind with regard to education. So anything that has ectomy means removal. So hysterectomy is removal of the uterus, and that can be in part or it can be in total. It does not include removing the ovaries or the tube, which I think is an important distinction for many women who are undergoing this procedure. There may be a misnomer that those organs would also be removed. A lot of women tend to go undergo this procedure primarily because of bleeding issues, and I think Dr. Stitt will be talking more about that. But in my discipline as a urogynecologist, the typical reasons why we would perform this procedure is for prolapse, which is a protrusion of the pelvic organs, specifically the uterus. And Dr. Stitt, generally speaking, what symptoms indicate a hysterectomy might be needed? Well, Maggie, there, there are a number of symptoms that we commonly see as patients come through the office. Some common symptoms are pain. Patients come in and they have pain that's not resolved with Tylenol, Motrin, heating pads, anything you can imagine that you can do over the counter to treat the pain. Uh, also pressure, significant pressure when having bowel movements or emptying your bladder and heavy bleeding. You know, that's the one symptom that really goes unrecognized, and we can talk about this a little bit later, but bleeding episodes can be significant, so much so that they cause patients to stay at home, not go to work, not go to school, and it may be that there is something going on where they may need to have a hysterectomy. Other symptoms are constipation, as I mentioned, urinary incontinence. My partner, Dr. Walton, handles urinary incontinence in her urogynecology practice, and sometimes patients can have uh, urinary incontinence secondary to their uterus falling out. It's amazing the number of symptoms you can have that would require a hysterectomy, but not all patients need a hysterectomy, and I guess we're going to get there soon. Mm -hmm. Dr. Walton, are there certain risk factors that would make one woman more likely to undergo a hysterectomy versus another? Maggie, that's a great question because I think a lot of women will think that if they have a gynecologic condition such as fibroids, that they're going to be told that they have to have a hysterectomy and that's not the case. Our discussion with our patients is based upon a few things. One, just the severity of the condition. If a patient has had severe symptoms that Dr. Sid has already alluded to, then yes, we're going to talk about, well, ultimately, would a hysterectomy be an appropriate procedure? We would also look at treatment failures. If they've tried a number of types of treatment, such as in my world, if they've tried exercises for the pelvic floor to make sure that there's no protrusion of the uterus, if they've tried a device 
to hold it up inside and it was not successful, then we would then move on to the next part of our discussion. I think most women really want to try to avoid hysterectomy, and that's something that we often will bring up, like these are the options. But I guess one scenario where there may not be a possibility is cancer, and that's not something we specifically deal with, but that ultimately becomes a part of a concern when there's heavy bleeding, when there's pain, when there's an abnormal finding on an imaging study such as an ultrasound or an MRI. Dr. Sitt, several years ago, having a hysterectomy meant scarring and a lengthy recovery period. Is that still the case? No, it's not. You know, when you talk about a hysterectomy several years ago, one of the things that I talked to patients about, this notion of having your mom's hysterectomy, right? Your mom's surgery and having to have this procedure where you have this big, ugly scar, where you have this recovery period that's four to six weeks, where you're in the hospital for four to six days. Currently, one of the most common causes for hysterectomy is what Dr. Walton alluded to is uterine fibroids. We know that approximately seven to eight out of 10 women by the age of 50 will be diagnosed with uterine fibroids. And historically, we've performed the hysterectomy, the abdominal approach to get this taken care of. It's no longer the case. It's no longer the case. With technology, nowadays, we have a number of options. We have, and we have options that don't include incisions. We can go in through vaginally to get fibroids removed. We can go and we can use robotic surgery. That's one of the newest technologies that we're using to perform a hysterectomy. And with this robotic technology, what we're seeing, Maggie, is we're seeing patients go home the same day after surgery. We're seeing patients recover in a week to two weeks. We're seeing patients not needing narcotics when they have their hysterectomy. So If it is required, in some cases it's not, but if it is, we now have the technology to perform these procedures in a way where a woman has the ability to return to her normal life much sooner than her mother would have had. Wow. And why did they, back in the day, sometimes, like right after a childbirth, do a hysterectomy? Well, you know, it depends. There are a number of reasons. So I I practice obstetrics as well. And sometimes there can be bleeding if it's immediately after the delivery that can't be stopped. And if there's a life-saving procedure that needs to be done and hysterectomy is the one, well, as an obstetrician, if we have to choose, we choose to take the uterus out. Mm -hmm. In some cases, there are these tumors that I mentioned that are present during pregnancy that really decrease the patient's quality of life. And if you're thinking about, well, they told me if I have these fibroids, they have to have hysterectomy. However... I also want to have a baby. Well, how about I have my baby first and then have this fibroid taken care of? It's another reason to have it right after you deliver. So fertility is key as well when you're thinking about performing these types of surgeries. Dr. Walton, what about the recovery process for a hysterectomy? Does it take a long time? Is everybody different? How does that go? Sure. Maggie, I can speak to this both professionally and personally. As Dr. Stitt talked about, Many of these patients go home the same day, but I personally had to have a hysterectomy. And as a busy surgeon, you can imagine that would be very impactful to my Mm -hmm. own practice, right? So I needed to get back to work within uh, three days, and I'm not necessarily someone who is stoic. I was able to sit up and have a meeting. I was pretty much back to my feeling like my normal self within a couple weeks and not requiring a lot of pain medication. So again, 
these, even though sometimes some of these procedures take a little longer, particularly with robotics, what we give on the front end of doing the procedure, we save on the back end for the patient where they can quickly return to their normal activities of daily living. So like Dr. Stitt alluded to, it's not our mother's hysterectomy because it sounds like back in the day, it was a big deal and took a long time to recover from. So that is good news, the progress, right? Absolutely. And we didn't even mention the need for blood transfusions with these open procedures. A lot of times our parents, our grandparents had to have a transfusion associated with heavy bleeding because we didn't have the technology to manage that bleeding either before or during the procedure. Can I add something? It's important that when we talk about robotics, we talk about it every day. We're experts in this field and we love using the equipment. But it's important to to discuss what we mean by robotics, I believe. You know, when you think about, and this may date me, and if it does, I'm sorry. But if you think about the Jetsons and all the stuff we used to watch when we were kids or I was a kid, and you had cars driving themselves, you had, which we now have, uh, when you have not using guys using electricity for transportation, and you think about robots, you think about another entity performing surgery. It's important to note that when we perform these surgeries with these with this Da Vinci robotic system, it's truly mm-hmm. us. We have our hands on the instruments. We are telling our hands what to do through this device. So it's not as though we're at home performing this procedure. It's not as though we're pressing a button and just watching the procedure happen. We're right. actually involved in performing this procedure using our own eyes, our own hands, and taking care of patients ourselves. So I just wanted to make that clear. That's really good to know because I'm sure, like you said, most people don't know how it works because we've never been in the operating room. So that's really good to know. Great point. Mm -hmm. Dr. Stitt, are there available alternatives to undergoing a hysterectomy? Megan, I'm glad you asked. You know, when we talk about surgeries for women, we know that the C-section that you mentioned or surgery around delivery time is probably the most common procedure that women have in the country. Second to that is hysterectomy. What we used to think was, I'll take one area that we focus on at our facility, UMCAP region, is is fibroids. We used to think that if you were diagnosed with fibroids, you have to have a hysterectomy. Well, we now know there are about four different alternatives to treating fibroids. One could be medication. Two could be changing your diet. Really? So what we do know, Maggie, is that patients who tend to be overweight will store estrogen and other hormones in ways such that it could lead to the growth of fibroids grow using some of the normal hormones that a woman has in her body. Mm -hmm. And paying attention to your weight, exercising regularly, eating an appropriate diet, not dieting, we're not talking about, you know, eating once a day, but having an appropriate diet can reduce the growth of these fibroid tumors that you may be inheriting from your family and reduce the need for hysterectomy long-term. So, That is one option to having a hysterectomy. Now, we also talked about heavy bleeding being a problem, going through a pack of pads or two packs of pads. You know, Maggie, recently I had a patient tell me that she had to wear a diaper at night Uh, to uh. avoid soiling her bedsheets. And there, there are ways around that without having to have this hysterectomy where you're in the hospital for these three days or even a day or even having two weeks out of your life spent in recovery. We have procedures called endometrial ablation where we just apply heat to the uterus, the womb, for 90 seconds. That's it. Bleeding is over. 
No more bleeding. Really? It's That's gone. Incredible. incredible. It's gone. So those are just some of the options that we have to, to hysterectomy. And what we're doing, Dr. Warrington and I are trying to educate colleagues, patients, and this podcast, we hope, is going to help continue that education to let women know that there are available options out there. That's fascinating, really. 90 seconds. Can you imagine? Well, you can. <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Dr. Walton, any other takeaways you'd like to share with our audience? You know, as I, I listen to Dr. Sip, the mother's hysterectomy resonates with me because I think about my mom and her having a hysterectomy and her relationship with her provider. And so the I would say the other takeaway is for us to encourage our patients to have a partnership with their provider where they feel they're in a safe space, they can have these conversations where they say, are there alternatives? Why do I need a hysterectomy? How many have you done? What kind of hysterectomy are you offering me? Where they feel empowered to ask these important questions and not just be on the receiving end of Medicaid, of medicine. And I would also suggest that, you know, a lot of times women, particularly in my area and discipline where women tend to wait when they have minor leakage problems and or prolapse issues, that's the herniation of the pelvic organs, and they wait until something bad has happened, I would encourage more early intervention. Ask questions. Try to find out what is happening. What are you feeling? Why is it uncomfortable when you're potentially having intercourse? What's the bulge that you're feeling down below? Those are things that we need to address early on. So potentially we can avoid a hysterectomy. Right. And Dr. Sid, anything else in closing you'd like to add? Yes. You know, one thing, Maggie, that I like to impress upon my patients when I see them in the office is just conversations with mom, moms having conversations with their daughters. You know, I mentioned that number, eight out of 10 uh, mm -hmm. by the age of 50. What we often see is we see patients who come in and say, Doc, listen, I have this bleeding problem, but it's okay. My mom had the same thing and my daughter has the same bleeding problem. We just go through packs of pads and that's just the way it is in our family. Well, my grandmother had a hysterectomy, though. So, you know, I don't know why she had that. Well, she probably had it because of the fibroids that she had. Her daughter had the fibroids and has, has heavy bleeding. She's had a daughter and has this problem. We think that education is key. And it's just a simple question. Mom, how's your bleeding? Or daughter, how's your bleeding going? To try to determine whether it's within the norm. And I think patients have the opportunity to reduce the incidence of hysterectomy if they have that conversation. Right. Thank you so much, Dr. Walton and Dr. Stitt, for your insight, your experience, and knowledge on this emotional topic. I think it's safe to say it's emotional. We really appreciate your expertise. Our pleasure. Thank you so much, Maggie, for this opportunity. This episode is sponsored by UM Capital Region Health, the largest healthcare provider in Prince George's County, dedicated to enhancing the health and wellness of the community by providing high-quality, accessible patient care. UM Capital Region Health. Changing up healthcare in Prince George's County. Find more shows just like this one at umms.org slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Live Greater, a health and wellness podcast brought to you by the University of Maryland Medical System. We look forward to you joining us again. I'm Maggie McKay.